Hello, Greg Wyshynski of ESPN, kicking off hour two of the program. So I think I think the problem is is that I tried to take it easy yesterday afternoon by going kayaking here in Tampa. I yeah. I jumped in the pool. Oh, I had what? a cigar by the pool. Oh, you don't. It was say. really nice. And I think my punishment was to have the single most stressful, jam-packed news morning maybe of the playoffs <laughs> i thought you were gonna say just, that you got like like horribly burned like you're, you're like me you were like we're both oh. like the flag you were both like the flag of poland rather totally white or totally red <laughs> like that's that's you and me well well i mean to that end i've learned my lesson which is that when i when i do go uh kayaking when i'm like covering the playoffs or whatever um i don't wear a hat and i don't wear sunglasses because I am, don't let the last name fool you, folks. I am Irish, and I do have fair skin, and I know that I will look like the Hamburglar if I wear sunglasses <laughs> and try to go on the water kayaking. So I didn't do that yesterday, but, but like the Maurice thing happens, Kucherov, Kadri, just all this stuff this morning, man. It's like, I need a, I don't know, I need to take a Valium or something. It's been a crazy morning. No, it's good. Like, the season's winding down, and, and we're getting, like, day after day, it's a it's a fire hose of news. This is awesome. Like, trust me, someone that's got to, you know, do do two hours of, of live radio every day, plus, you know, assorted podcasts through the week, and, you know, you have column upon column uh, to write and things to talk about on, on various platforms and outlets. This is this is good. This is candy. This is catnip. This is This is what we want, no? Well, yeah, I mean, w- would I rather be talking about injury decisions and awards voting and, and you know, surprising coaching hires than, you know, can the Lightning uh, fourth line make a difference in game four? Of course, you know, of course that. But uh, but it's been wild. Um, okay, hang on. Let I'll me, say let this. Me, I, me, I, I, would be, I would be surprised. I would be surprised if Kadri doesn't play tonight. That's that's the first thing that I'll say on, on this yeah. radio show. And as I said to Elliot, and as I just said to Mike Rupp, the wonderful thing about hockey is they are so respectful out there, they will stay away from his thumb, starting with Corey Perry. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I've been, as I've been saying to people, like, look, I, I know we're all kind of obsessed on whether, like, what Kadri is going to do in this game, if he can shoot the puck or what have you. All he's got to do is just skate into the goalie again. That's all they really need him for, right? Jeez. <laughs> oh, uh, like, I don't think, like, other than not being a shooting threat, I don't think Kadri changes his game at all. But the thing is, like, Tampa knows, like, okay, we can, you know, we can, uh, we can defend everybody else in the offensive zone, knowing that this guy's got the bad thumb and, you know, he's probably not going to be able to fire it. And if he is, it's not going to be a Kadri shot. It, it won't be, but, like, it's a perfect infusion of some vim and vigor uh, in a game where the Avalanche could use it, and it's getting you know it's getting a really good player back. I mean, I, I thought one of the things that tipped Game Three in favor of the Lightning was the lineup absences of Barakowski and Kadri, and obviously they're not getting Barakowski back unless he's teleporting, uh, but getting Kadri back will be a help. And and maybe help even the the scales a little bit as far as the advantage the Lightning have in depth at home when they can get the matchups that they that they want. 
You know, one of the interesting things here is, and it sounds like a weird decision, but it looks like it's true. I never thought that, I mean, again, the injury is the injury. The idea of, of Tampa admitting to itself that right now they're better off without Braden Point is an interesting one. Right? Yeah. No, I agree. And and because I, I think the thing, the thing we all were talking about is that like Braden Point at 60% is better than Riley Nash. And, and that might still be true. But when you have a series where the premium is on speed and the premium is on skating and 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 you look at how Point played in the first two games, like there were flashes I felt where Point looked like himself in game one. Um, and then, you know, everybody looked bad in game two. My, yep. my hockey brain, when we talked about, like, coming back here for game three and Point status was all of a sudden up in the air, said, this is a team that won all of their home games in the last two rounds with Braden Point out of the lineup and with Riley Nash in the lineup. And hockey brain says... Maybe they're just doing that, <laughs> but I mean, and then and then you you dial it back and you say to yourself, okay, but it's Braden Point, like it's insane, like he has been the leading goal scorer in the playoffs for the last three seasons. It is insane to keep him out of the lineup, but yet then you look what happened in Game Three, and it's the same thing that happened in all of the other home games that have been played here without Braden Point. So I'm not trying to say John Cooper's playing 40 chess, but I mean, <laughs> just in the back of my brain, I kind of thought he was. You know, it's um, the, the this series is an interesting one because if Darcy Kemper has a bad one tonight, then look out, all bets are off for the remainder of the series. The thing is, here we are, two to one, uh, Colorado still with the series lead, and we make a lot about Game Three, and with you know, with you know, with for, with, with reason because Tampa looked looked good, but I don't think the Colorado looked bad. I thought they got some bad goaltending. I know Darcy Kemper's had a challenging, you know, playoffs and at times hasn't looked great during the regular season. I know the hospital bracelet has been an issue historically and this season for Darcy Kemper. But, you know, if things go if things go bad for Darcy Kemper tonight, then I think, you know, you take games one and two where we're all saying, wow, I can't believe Colorado was doing this to Tampa. I can't believe this is actually happening. And you throw it out the window and you say, Tampa might win this thing. So, And if it, if if it comes Kemper, down to a fight between Vas- Vasilevsky and Darcy Kemper, I think we all know where we're putting our money. So if Kemper doesn't play well in game four and the Avalanche lose game four, my reaction will be that of Emperor Palpatine in Return of the Jedi when he says... Everything is proceeding exactly as I have foreseen it. Because I picked the Avalanche in six, and I picked them in six because I felt they'd make a goalie change. I really did. I'm not a Kemper Really, guy. eh? I don't... I, I Yeah, I, I did not... I, I know second half of the regular season, statistically, second best goalie in the league behind Shichurkin. Um, I rely on my friends in the goalie analytics community who tell me that Darcy Kemper is a false idol to tell me that he is a guy who lives on reputation based on how well he played for really bad coyotes teams. And honestly, in these playoffs, he's not blown me away. And, and so what we've seen so far in this series is that in the two times the lightning were able to get to their game and play to their offensive standards, he's wilted. And, and in one case he was pulled. So my thought was always two, two split home team, hold serve, go back to Denver flip to Francois win the next two 
That's my prediction before the series. And please run back the segment when it happens. Uh, and they're and they're chanting Frankie like they always do when Pavel Francouz is uh, is in at a ball arena. Um, right. This is the fascinating one. Uh, there's the Kadri factor. There's the point factor. There's the Kemper factor. You want to weigh in on Kucherov and Nick Paul here? As far as far them playing, I mean, yeah. So Kucherov's an interesting one because like. Um, John Cooper made the point, and I had forgotten about this, that, that, that Kucherov finished the Stanley Cup final last year with a cracked rib. So we're Scott talking Mayfield. about somebody that Scott has Mayfield a... cross-check. Scott Mayfield cross-check. Yes. So we're talking about somebody who has a very high pain threshold. Um, and, and so I imagine whatever he's going through, he'll play through it, and I imagine he'll be effective. The, the bigger thing for me with Kucherov and with Stamkos and with Andre Palat is the fact that they don't have to see Nathan McKinnon at, in Tampa. And that we talked about the injuries being a tipping point. That was also a tipping point for game three, was getting those guys away from the McKinnon line because they were able to get to their game offensively. They didn't have to worry about defending all that much against the diminished second line. And when the action moves back to Colorado, then it, then it becomes a distinct advantage because whoever McKinnon's playing, whoever McKinnon and Landis Cog are playing with, whether it's Nikushkin or it's Rantanen, they're a steamroller. I mean, they're just destroy. They're destroying one of the better checking lines we've seen in the playoffs in the last couple of years in that in that Sorelli line. So enjoy the advantage while you have it. I think the Kucherov will play well tonight. And then when it goes back to Denver, uh, we won't hear from them again <laughs> because they're going to spend the entire game in their own zone. <laughs> The weird, the weird thing, and we saw this in game two. I don't know that I've ever seen Tampa stand around as much as I did, as we saw yeah. in game two. That was, that was them, you know, rehearsing for an elevator ride, is what it was. Like, and specifically in the third <laughs> period, where they they just stopped giving up, you know, chasing pucks to the boards. I have never seen that out of Tampa. Anyhow, we'll uh, right. we'll, we'll see what happens tonight. We, we, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say not only an elevator ride, but an elevator ride in the press elevator here in Tampa, which for those who don't know, uh, there are different ways you get from the press box down to the event level to talk to the players and to do your media writing and all those other things. And uh, here in Tampa, infamously for the press, the elevator that you use is a freight elevator. Okay, a slow moving Titanic speed freight elevator. Mm-hmm. That so is also feel, used do, as the do you feel, as the name. Do you feel like? Do you feel like livestock? Yeah. When do you feel like livestock well, when you're in it? We do feel like we're being sent to the kill floor. But on top <laughs> of that, the name of uh, the name is true. It's a freight elevator. They put freight in it. Yeah. Freight typically will be at the end of these games, dumpsters full of garbage, and there has mm. been more than one occasion when I've been on the elevator coming down from the press box to come to the event level to speak to players where I have been stuck behind a dumpster full of garbage in the elevator. (laughs) (laughs) How long have you been in the industry? For a long time. I mean, a couple decades now. So again, like uh, I feel, I feel, I feel that there is a certain amount of symbolism that the media He's riding down the elevator with dumpsters of garbage, uh, but uh, <laughs> it's it's never never a fun time. Um, let's park the conversation about the Stanley about Game Four tonight here for a couple of moments. Nothing gets 
hockey fans more upset than trophy balloting. It happens every season where you find out where the nerves are, where the sensitivities are, uh, how people feel quick to outrage and don't want to listen to anything. Um, where is your big battleground online when it comes to your balloting? For this year, it's the Norris. Same. Um, I had Roman Yossi third behind Makar and Hedman. Okay, and I had him fourth. I did that. I had him fourth. You had him fourth. Okay, so, I so fourth. okay. Now, you got to justify that for me. Because I think third okay. is a reasonable place to put Yossi, but how do you have him fourth? So, to me, to me, it, uh, I had um, Kale McCarr one. Hang on, let me, go, let me get my ballot here. Let me get my ballot. So, okay. here's my ballot. Okay. Kale McCarr yes. one. Okay. Victor Hedman, two. Charlie McAvoy, three. Roman Yossi, four. Now, okay. I'll entertain the idea of swapping out McAvoy for Hedman. I could see that argument. But Yossi behind all of them. Based on quality of competition, Roman Yossi didn't face yeah. co top competition. That was the uh, Matthias Ekholm pair. Um, mm -hmm. And head-to-head, -head, if you're going to say, like, McAvoy faced top competition all season long. Kale McCarr faced top competition uh, all season long. Victor Hedman didn't. The McDonough pair mainly got that. But then I put Hedman up against Roman Yossi in quality of competition battles, and Hedmonton, Hedman wins that one one-on-one -on -one all day long. So that's how I get Correct. to Roman Yossi at four. So I, I put Yossi ahead of McAvoy because I did feel that the offense was a tipping point for me there. Like, obviously, I didn't think there was enough distance between Yossi and Makar to justify putting him over Makar. And, and for all of the other reasons you said about Makar's defensive prowess, I think he's a good winner for the Norris. Um, I, I had Yossi third, and I am all, it's interesting that you had him fourth. I, I, I don't think I could go any lower than third based on the season he had. And, and again, like, you start to get into this really interesting area of, in awards voting on, you know, how much leeway you give a player based on his usage, which is out of his hands. Um, like, I remember there'd be arguments about the Selkie, about, well, this person doesn't kill penalties. And it's like, well, it's not as if he can call his own number <laughs> to go kill a penalty. Like, he's got to be put in the position to kill penalties. Yeah. If the coach feels as if he is... Uh, better suited and better used, and that energy is is better used at five on five than to kill a penalty. Is it really on the player? Should we hold it against him? Um, and, and so, then it speaks to quality of competition. Like, okay, so is it Yossi's fault that that they made the, the tactical decision not to have him play against the toughest competition and to focus more on him generating offense? I don't know, it, it, but it, it's a good philosophical debate to have. Well, I mean, and, and part of it extends, too, to like things like, you know, shorthanded time on ice. Okay, so if, if you look at, you know, just, I'll just call this up here. Give me a second here. If you look at shorthanded time on ice amongst, let's just focus on those four. Kale McCarr, Victor Hedman, right. Charlie McAvoy, and Roman Yossi. Let me grab this here. Number one shorthanded time on ice is Charlie McAvoy. Now, this is with a couple of games right. remaining in the season. At that point, is 41 minutes and 28 seconds. Number two was Victor Hedman, 39 minutes, 45 seconds. Third was Kale McCarr, 30 minutes and 7 seconds. And you know where Roman Yossi came in? 
fourth, 13 minutes and eight seconds. Now, when you right. look at the Norris Trophy, unless we're going to have two trophies, one for offensive defenseman and one for more of a defensive defenseman, in which case just give the award to Jacob Slavin every year, folks, then I think you need to look <laughs> at who is the most complete defenseman. Certainly you weigh things like points. That's heavy. I get that. But if you're looking at a complete defenseman, where do you put someone that barely plays any time killing penalties? Like by definition, right. you are there to but, defend. And the biggest time to defend is when you are killing a penalty. No? And everybody else around them, like they're killing penalties on the regular. Not so much Roman Yossi. Not so much Roman Yossi. I mean, and, and that's true. Um, but, but like I said, though, like then it comes back to they clearly had a plan for him this year, right? They clearly had a plan for how they wanted to use him to utilize his offensive skill better and, and to, to like, to, you know, to, to treat, to use him differently than they had been using him. And, and, and the, and the result was for him to have an incredible offensive season. Now, now let me ask you this Mm -hmm. regular season. Okay. Last 588 games, Roman Yossi. His average shorthanded time on ice per game is over two minutes. It's 207. Okay, that's mm-hmm. since 2014-15. So we can say that it's not a situation in which he has not played shorthanded. He's been used in that situation before. Tactically, this year, they decided not to use him there. Better use of his energy would be at five on five. And and again, he averaged again. 43 seconds per game shorthanded. So but again, but again, is, five, is that five, his fault? Five on five against secondary competition. Right, but I, but my listen. I understand. One spot away on the voting. I'm just point. saying that like the the, tr- the struggle <laughs> I have is... when we talk about these guys. No, no. The yeah. struggle I have when we talk about these guys not playing shorthanded is that it, it is frequently not because they can't do the job. Matthew Kachuk this year is is a good example of that. Correct. Like I had Matthew Kachuk um, fifth on my ballot for the Selkie, and. Matthew Kachuk averaged two seconds a game playing shorthanded. Five on five, I thought he had a better defensive season metrically than, than, than Lindholm had. I thought that he was the best defensive forward on that team at five on five. I did not hold it against Matthew Kachuk that they decided the best use of his energy was not killing penalties. Because I think he could. He's a pretty good player. But mm-hmm. they just decided not to use him that way. And so I always kind of hesitate when we get into the like shorthanded ice time argument because sure. I don't know if you should hold I don't think it I don't think it devalues Roman Yossi's defensive game overall if the coach decides, hey, better use of this guy's energy is to not play him as much shorthanded as as he's played in the past. I know that John Hines isn't thinking you know, I'm going to take Roman Yossi out of the Norris conversation. I don't think he's thinking, okay, what can I, <laughs> what can I best do here to get Roman right. Yossi the right. Norris Trophy when he's saying that, you know, that that uh, that Matthias that Matthias Ekholm and Carrier are going to get the the hard matchups here, and we're going to leave, you know, Fabro and Yossi, you know, going up the ice on secondary competition, and Yossi's going to fill the net. I don't think he's thinking, wow, this is going to cost him a Norris Trophy. Like, I'm with you. I'm thinking saying, this is the smartest thing we can do with this player. But I think as as people that are voting on these awards, we have to look at that and say, well, no, it's not Roman Yossi's fault 
that he's not in that situation and the coach has put him there. But I don't think we can say at the same time, look, it's not his fault. So let's, you know, let's let's bump him up to the top of the of the Norris balloting. I think we have to we have to make our votes based on the evidence that's before us. And the evidence is he's not playing against the other team's top forwards on a consistent basis. Now, did he put up an insane amount of points? Absolutely. And that that's what gets him into the top five, I think. But top three, like I know you and I are splitting the finest hairs here because you had him at three and I had him at four. And we're having an argument over one position here, neither of which is close to one. With Kale McCarr wins this thing going away. But I just think that you vote based on the season that he had. And even a Nashville Predators fan can look at this, who try to remove the emotion and say, it's true, he didn't play against competition as tough as Charlie McAvoy and Kale McCarr. And if you look at Hedman and Yossi going up against each other head-to-head, Victor Hedman has the more impressive numbers when, it, when you look at quality of competition and performance. But I right. think yeah. generally so, people and, and just look at the points and say, just, just look at the points and say, well, look, he had more points, so he's a better defenseman. I kind of feel like I've come around on the defensive defenseman thing. By the way, I don't know. I don't know if we need that award. I used to think I used to be a big proponent of like creating like a, a Rod Langway award for best defensive defenseman for the very yeah. reason that you stated. You don't think that way that anymore. I wanted guys. Well, I, here's why. I, 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 I guess what I'd like to see more of is 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 those players honored with the Norris than anything else, and and I. There's a part of me that like would like to see the Slavens of the world and, and players like that get their due with an award mm-hmm. that's specific to their talents. But like you look at a guy like Devon Taves, for example, I mean, like, is winning that award prestigious for him, or would would winning the Norris be more prestigious for him? It's winning the Norris. Now, now you're in the same pantheon as Bobby Orr, right? Like, I, I yeah. feel like. If anything, maybe those guys just deserve to have a better a better chance to win the Norris than to have their own award carved out. But the thing, but the, the thing is, guys like that will never win the Norris. Okay, right? Like, like but, they, but, they just okay. won't. Like, 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 like I, I, let's let's have a really. This is going to be the fastest conversation we've ever had. Let's have a conversation about right. all the times that Adam Foot won the Norris Trophy. You start. Right. Okay. I agree. But but here's the thing. So. What you're going to end up with in this league, though, is tweeners. Like, Taves is a good example. Like, Taves is clearly the complement to Makar, correct? Same as Mackenzie Weger is to Aaron Ekblad, yes. Okay. But, like, Taves' point total was was pretty pretty grandiose this, this season mm-hmm. and in the playoffs, right? So, can he win the Rod Langway Award? By virtue of, like, is it going to be the reverse of the Norris where if you have too many points, <laughs> too many you points. can't win defensive defenseman, right? I, I never mean, thought about it that way. That's a really good point. Hang on. That is a really, really good point. I never thought about it that way before. That is an excellent point. No, he's won too many points. He's got too many points to but win. He's the got, he had 57 points this season. <laughs> he had 57 points in 66 games. He is. Without question, yeah. one of the best defensive defensemen of the league, but he couldn't win the award. He's too good offensively. See, here, see here's see. I've always have a couple of minds here on on these awards. Part of me says that we need a redefinition of all of them so everybody understands the criteria, and then you don't get this you know endless arguments over you know whether it should be Hedman second or McAvoy second or Yossi first or whatever. And then you know what I keep coming back to the older I get, wish is that 
Mm. If I'm the NHL, I like the definitions to be as vague as possible. You know why? Of course it you gets do. people yes. talking about the awards more, whether it's outrage or people defending uh, or people dunking. It just gets you talking about the Because what are the awards? They are a division of marketing. Marketing, completely. That's, what, that's, that's why what, all these that's Edmonton fans is. that used to... All these Edmonton fans that used to light me up for for my you got to be in it to win it criteria for the Hart Trophy when it came to Connor when they wouldn't make the playoffs and just like we should really define value better. I'm like no, you shouldn't. You should make it even more vague. You should make the Hart Trophy <laughs> decrease the words in the description by seventy percent. Don't <laughs> make it even more vague. <laughs> just make it the award for the. The most player there. Get rid of value. Just say the most player. And you're like, what does that even mean? And then we're like, I don't know. We'll debate it for six months. And won't that be fun? Uh, that's awesome. So um, that's really good. Uh, a couple of things, too. Um, hard trophy, I voted Igor Shosturkin. For the Rangers is number one. Austin Matthews won the thing. Connor McDavid third. Kirill Kaprizov I had as four. And Johnny Gaudreau at five. But that was my ballot. Shosturkin won. Matthews second. McDavid third. Kaprizov. And then Johnny Gaudreau. You have your ballot in front of you? I do. Um, So I had Shosturkin second. And I had Matthews first. McDavid, Gaudreau, Robertson. I had Jason Robertson fifth. Because I thought you did a eh? good for trust. you. Good for you. That's a that's a so cool. One. That is a very cool. Year. That's a good one. Yeah, I know. I drove know. that line. Yeah, I mean, that's a good was one. The that's only, a good one. I mean, and, and, and the offensive engine for a team that needed one. Um, the thing that tipped me on Igor was the games played, which again, like you get into sort of like the philosophical thing of usage, and the fact that in the year of our Lord 2022 of finding a goalie that plays 70 games is like, you know, finding not happen, right? Like it's just not going to happen. But that said, like in the last quarter of the season trade deadline on, I felt that he did a little less. The team did a little more. And the fact that he carried them for three quarters of the season made him a clear second choice for me. But the number of games and the fact that Matthews wire to wire was was the heart and soul of the Leafs, I felt, um, put him him at the top for me. Here's why I had Shosturkin number one. Uh, if you look at quality starts, so pos- positive goals saved above expected, 38 quality starts. That's what he gave the New York Rangers. But the big yeah. one to me, I've always maintained, which you and I used to talk about this on the old podcast, I think it's a lot to ask a goaltender to steal a game. I think a goaltender can steal a period. I think a goaltender can steal two periods. But stealing a game is probably the hardest thing a goaltender can do right now in the NHL. You look at goals saved above expected. Okay? Mm-hmm. 10 stolen wins. So 20 mm-hmm. points he added individually to the Rangers bottom line. If they don't have those 20 points, like these are legit stolen games. Do they make the playoffs? Like to me, that's the hardest thing to do as a goaltender stealing games. Yeah. And I don't know anybody else that individually with all due respect to Matthews, McDavid, Kaprizov, Gaudreau, and those are my top five along with Shesterkin. I don't know anybody that individually added 20 points to their team. Shesterkin did. Yeah. And, and, 
and the reason he's stealing games is because they were absolutely getting rolled at five on five. Like there was a point in the season in which the New York Rangers were second only to the Arizona Coyotes at the bottom of the shot yep. attempt percentage standings. Yep. I mean, they were not a very good hockey team for a lot of this year, and he definitely carried them. I, again, I, I just think what Matthews did with the 60 and, and, and with everything he did for them defensively, I mean, this was a total package heart win for me. This was not somebody just, you know, putting up a big old chunk of points. This is a guy who had a legit Selkie case as well. And, and so I, I had, I was comfortable putting him over Igor. Um, but like if anybody dropped Igor below third or fourth or didn't have him on their, on their ballot, then they need to be very introspective about their feelings about <laughs> goaltenders because this but guy you know is the def- Hang on. definition but, of valuable this year for but, the Rangers. The the problem is is that I believe that there are voters that don't think a goaltender should be should be even in the conversation for the heart because they quote unquote have their own trophy called or, the Vez. Or or the other argument, Merrick. Merrick, the other argument is they have their own trophy, which is the classic Major League Baseball pitchers can't be MVPs. That's why we have the Cy Young argument. Yeah, yeah, but the yeah, other yeah, argument yeah, yeah, yeah. is, and I've heard this from a lot of my colleagues, is well, if we give it to a goalie, we get to give it to a goalie every year because he is the most valuable guy on the team. And, you know, that's kind of true. Like, the, the quarterback tends to win NFL MVP a lot of the time because the quarterback <laughs> is the most important position on the field. Um, but there are some years when the goaltender clearly deserves this award more than others. It's usually yeah. years where they're statistically dominant. It's usually years in which they're elevating a bad hockey team to goodness. And both of those criteria criteria were fulfilled by Shishurkin this year. The, um, you know, as, as someone pointed out to me this morning, when you look at what Shishurkin was able to do with the New York Rangers this year, and you look at how many, whether it's, you know, the, uh, the quality starts and the stolen, uh, the, the, the stolen games, the only other goaltender in the quote-unquote nerd era, in the stats era, in the NHL, there's only <laughs> one other goaltender that approaches that. Or I think he's actually surpassed it a couple of times as well. And it's things if you're a Devils fan or an Islanders fan or a Flyers fan or a Penguins fan, and that's Henrik Lundqvist. <laughs> yep, yep. Like, they've gone from one super elite to another super elite in New York. You could you could make the argument that this is this is Sid coming in after Mario, like it's that kind of chain of succession. That's a great way. That's a great way to put it. This is this is and, Sid coming in after Mario. You're right. It really that's is a really good you know, way to it, put it. Shostrukin told a story last night about how he asked his parents because Lundqvist was his favorite goalie growing up, which is kind of amazing when you think about that symmetry. Wow. Um, he asked his he asked his parents to buy him Lundqvist's pads. Uh, um, and they said no because they're really expensive. It's <laughs> <laughs> like you know, I, I, of course, I can't afford them now. <laughs> he's a, he's an absolute gem. Did you hear the story he told last night about the Vezina? So he was in a preseason game against the Islanders. He wasn't playing, and he had not I, really. I, I thought, saw this. It's great. This yeah, is great. This for is those great. that didn't hear it, like he had not really thought about winning the Vezina. And he's sitting there on the Rangers bench. He looks behind him, and a kid made a sign that said, Igor Shitsurkin, future Vezina winner. And and all of a sudden, he's like, wow, I, I am on a good team. 
I guess I probably could win it. <laughs> it's just like, wow. <laughs> That's and then what, what happened was you actually bailed out this team for uh, 40 games of the season <laughs> and kept oh, them in man. the race. And the Metropolitan is actually what happened, Igor. He's ter- he's a terrific goalie and a really good dude. And and you're right. Like as a devil. Well, first of all, as a devil's fan, I'm jealous because the Rangers didn't use 75 goalies this year like the devils did. <laughs> but I'm also jealous that they, they have a franchise guy and they're not going to have to worry about that position for the next you know 15 years. How How smart? By the way, does the front office look for signing him to that extension? Remember what there was some like, remember like, oh my god, look at concept questions. But the thing is, like coming off coming off your first deal, like goalies don't get paid like that, and everyone's like, you got to be crazy giving this guy that. Nope, not at all. Like (laughs) like, almost like it's become like the biggest value contract in the NHL. It's it's it. I mean, like again, we're we're playing the comparison game here. Like we're gonna look back at that contract like we'd look back on the McKinnon contract. Um, of, of yeah. but, although the McKinnon contract was also him coming off like years that were just meh, like Shesty was like coming off a year where you, he clearly had something going on, but but it's going to be one of the best value contracts in the NHL. And, yeah. and like when we make our little lists and slideshows and stuff, like that's going to be one of them that's going to be on there in perpetuity. You do slideshows? You doing slideshows now? Is that your thing? <laughs> I, do, uh, I am okay. proud to say. That in my entire career, Yahoo, ESPN, what have you, I have yeah. never had to make a slideshow. When I do, I am, I when I do my off-season, it. when I do my off-season puppet show about this year's version of the New York Rangers, you know, Shostakovich's contract is going to look really nice in my puppet show. I read a story the other day that ranked all of Paul McCartney's solo songs like top fifty, and it yeah. was fifty-one slides in a slideshow. I'm like. What is happening? <laughs> Who is doing that? Uh, Just tell me the list. Just tell me the list. Uh, all right, we got to uh, we got to hustle. I got Dan Vilesma on the other side, who's uh, coming up. Uh, Coachella head coach, Coachella Valley. Let's go, Firebirds. Um, thanks, Wish. Enjoy Game Four, bud. Uh, I, I will. Thank you for that. Uh, Dan Vilesma, by the way, in the we didn't talk about Maurice and Brunette. No, Dan we'll Bilesma get there next is week. a classic example classic example of what i think andrew brunette is right coach right time and i think the panthers may be thinking that with bruno right coach right time times over maybe not the right coach anymore you know it's interesting freach seems to think that uh chicago could be in the future for andrew brunette I think that's that's not out of the realm of possibility if he wants to keep coaching. I know that they've offered him a place within the organization. No. Um, I'm not... I think there was a better than good chance he might get, when, he hey, might have gotten Ducharmed. By by the way, whenever I hear we've offered him a place in the in the uh, in the organization, I always think of the old cliche. Well, we don't have a job for you, but we have a position. We'll end on that one. <laughs> Thanks, Wish. You uh, you be good, pal. All right, bud. I'll talk to you soon. From ESPN, Greg Wyshynski.